which was the first real sound that had ever been transmitted to a human ear by electricity. everyone and welcome to episode 12 of the Music Dissectors recorded on May the 28th, 2018. I'm your host David Holloway and as always my, my value co-host joins me and that is Matthew J.C. Powell. How are you Matthew? I, I am slowly dying at my microphone here. Um, I, 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 ha- I have a cold. <laughs> I'm, I, I've dosed myself up with I think legal uh, pharmaceuticals. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm, I haven't checked the use by dates on them. It's possible I will lose consciousness at some point, uh, over the next hour or so. We'll see what happens. That's always a challenge having to listen to me anyway. So yeah, best of luck with that. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's good to be back. And I know we talked maybe last episode about slightly longer times between podcasts and, um, just wanted to again mention that we are still very much enjoying doing this and putting them out as just life gets in the way. And we also, um, just love finding the the right album and the right guest to, to do each episode. So it's I think it's nearly been three months, Matthew, since the last well, since the last one was recorded, the last one came out about two months ago. Um, uh, so that's, and again, that's, that's that's too long. That's too long. And, and a big thank you to John Fulcher again for covering Astral Weeks for us, and we had really good response. That people loved both um, what he had to say about it, and also had quite a few people read his uh, little um, essay that he did as well, which was great. So, but going from Van Morrison to um, something a little bit different um, this episode, we're we're going to 1977 and Pink Floyd's Animals. Um, And as you'll hear, we've got someone joining us, Paul Bindig, who um, knows the the music intimately because he plays it. So I think we'll just... He's, He's not actually in Pink Floyd, though. He could be, though, if they were still going and most of them hadn't died. And one hundred. And if the they were, and, and if they were willing to go on stage and call themselves Pink Floyd, that's right. And you know, Gilmore and <laughs> Waters were willing to spend more than ten minutes in the same room as each other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> absolutely. So yeah, let, let's have a listen to Paul and his take on Animals by Pink Floyd. Hi, Paul. Thanks heaps for joining us tonight. Gentlemen, it's an absolute pleasure. So I think, uh, and I think I've said this a couple of times before, but you're in a bit of a unique position um, in discussing this album in that you devote a significant period of your time to playing the music of Pink Floyd, including the stuff from Animals, which we're discussing tonight. So I thought we might kick off with do you want to tell us a little bit obviously about yourself more broadly but uh your involvement with pink floyd and their music yeah absolutely so look i I came to pink floyd as a as a teenager and i'm probably one of the uh the rare people i mean i'm I'm 45 years old so i'm squarely in gen x and i'm probably one of the rare people of my age to have come to pink floyd via their younger brother and how that occurred was he um, – so a lot of – I guess a lot of Gen Xs, you know, their, their parents may have had uh, introduced them to classic 70s rock and that sort of thing. And, you know, but my mum and dad were not those parents. So they their <laughs> their, their record collection was uh, Demi's Roussos and Nana Mascuri and, and these sorts of things. So uh, they oh wouldn't have Oh, my God, even... you poor child. Have you had therapy? Yeah, well, uh, I'm still getting over it, Matthew, to be honest. Th- th- there uh, are people that you can talk about. To yeah, well, that's, well, that's kind of what I'm hoping to get out of this is a bit of therapy and, you know, it's, I'm actually lying on a couch as we speak. You leave my friend um, the wind out of this. 
<laughs> but yes, yeah, so I, I received no good musical guidance from my parents. But what what they did do for me was um, they they paid for piano lessons, which I'm eternally grateful to them for. And my brother as well, who's 18 months younger than me. And uh, when he got into his his very early teens, he decided he wanted to have a crack at playing guitar as well. And he's a very talented musician. And his guitar teacher was introducing him to all this different kind of rock music. And Pink Floyd ended up being part of that. So he would come home and my brother and I always got along well and he'd be playing the different music that he'd, that he'd been introduced to by his teacher. And eventually it got to Pink Floyd The Wall. And I remember listening to it going, what is this? It was just, I wouldn't even say I liked it. I just didn't understand what I was listening to because it was so unlike anything I'd ever heard before. And then on repeated listens, you'd get into it more and you think, actually, I think I really quite like this. And, uh, and again, being of a certain age, that then takes you on this voyage of discovery where you start going to record stores and flicking through to see, okay, Pink Floyd, so what, what other things can I, you know, uh, kids these days don't realise how lucky they are. They can jump on YouTube and see whatever they want to see, but, you know, we couldn't do that. So, um, yeah, that, that was sort of how I started. And then, you know, you start back cataloguing and checking out the earlier stuff and, you know, obviously you, you listen to Dark Side of the Moon and it absolutely blows you away. And, and the album that we're discussing, Animals, I, I, I remember the moment I first heard it, I was, I'd, I'd found it, I didn't know anything what to expect and I, I listened to it and it just made a, a visceral emotional impact on me that still to this day, I was actually re-listening to it a bit in preparation for our chat uh fellas and i i got the same reaction like just just really listening to it to listen to what what the words are saying and how the music sounds and as a teenager when i first heard it i didn't understand what it was about but i knew it was about mm. something and mm. i knew it meant something and the that album is so in my opinion so beautifully crafted that the raw emotion comes through it so well that it, it hits you even if even as a kid i didn't quite get the themes that were present in the music at the time and i still feel that way about it so um yeah that's that's me and pink floyd as a fan in terms of as a as a musician playing it that happened much later um and, and that was really a, a just a happy coincidence in the sense that i've been moved, traveling around a bit for my day job and i, I moved back to adelaide where i where i was was originally from and and I was looking to get into a band. I've been playing in bands since I was 18, various rock bands and blues bands and that sort of thing and I thought I'll see who's who's interested in taking on a keyboard player and these guys from Echoes of Pink Floyd were looking for a keys player and I looked and thought, oh, no, I'm probably not really accomplished enough to do that sort of music. But but the more I looked at the ad, I thought, you know what, I'll just – I'll just have a crack. I'll just see if they're still interested and I'll go and audition and they'll tell me no and it, it'll be okay. It'll be a great experience. And, um, you know, I went and did the audition and, and I remember leaving the audition and I, I was very much of the mindset leaving. I thought, geez, these are the best blokes. They're just such top fellas. And the other thing that I, I really got out of the audition was how accurate they sounded to the album. And it was almost it was almost hard to audition well because I was mm. caught up listening to the music and, and saying, wow, these guys sound great and I'm making all these mistakes because I'm too busy listening to the music instead of playing my parts. Um, and look, I was lucky enough to get a call back and uh, yeah, and so that was back in 2012. I joined the band officially in 2013 and I've been playing with them ever since and it's been a wonderful journey. Absolutely. And so that's sort of four years of, um, nearly five years of, of playing this stuff. And from what I could see, and we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes, you guys play pretty damn regularly as well. We do. Um, so we're in the midst of, uh, we're actually, we're just about to embark on a, uh, a pretty large tour running up and down the eastern seaboard of Australia. Um, so yeah, we, we, we look, we're, we're lucky we've, uh, we've got a good management group that uh, book us in some really nice venues and we, um, we, we look, we get to we get to do what we love. We get to play the beautiful music of Pink Floyd for appreciative audiences. Absolutely. And, I mean, I, I would happily spend three hours talking about um, the in- intricacies of that, but I, I'd better not. But let, let's talk about <laughs> um, a- Animals <laughs> itself. So um, if we talk about when you first listened to it, and probably my disclosure, I'd love your thoughts too, Matthew. I, I have always loved Pink Floyd, but it shows what I mustn't have been a true fan in that for this uh, podcast is the first time I've listened to animals start to finish, in, in this case, three times. And that it's just <laughs> one that passed me by. A bit like yourself, Paul, my first um, exposure was The Wall. Uh, mm-hmm. Loved the final cut. 
owned that on cassette back in the day um, and I've loved a lot of this stuff since and never delved back, not that Animals is that far back compared to some of their earlier stuff and this has been a new thing for me. But Matthew, I assume you've got a fairly decent history with Pink Floyd? Well, actually not not really. Um, you, you, you'd be surprised given, given how much sort of 60s stuff I'm into. You'd, mm. you'd think that uh, Floyd would have been a, a bigger uh, sort of figure. Uh, but no, I, I actually didn't really listen to Pink Floyd until, um, ooh, what was, what was the one right before Delicate Sound of Thunder? It was, it was, it was an eighties album. Um, uh, Momentary had, Lapse uh, of Reason. Momentary Lapse of Reason. Yeah. yeah. That that was really the first Pink Floyd album that I, uh, I, I got into at all. Uh, and, and then went as, as you put it back cataloging. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd heard the wall, I'd heard. Uh, other, you know, Pink Floyd songs before. I'd, I'd heard most of Dark Side of the Moon just because it's, uh, you know, it's part of the culture now. But, um, yeah, I hadn't really got into Pink Floyd until until after uh, Momentary Lapse of Reason. Well, you know, uh, Matthew, and, that's, and that's so, interesting. Sorry, mate. I was just going to say, it's really interesting to hear you say that because a couple of the boys in our band, uh, Mark, our rhythm guitarist, and Jason, our drummer, that's exactly how they came to Pink Floyd as well. Okay. So, hear, hearing that exact album and going, oh, okay, and then diving in and you know back cataloging as we're saying and that sort of thing. So that that was exactly their experience as well. Yeah. I'm 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 glad I don't feel like quite such a freak then. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. No, no. Um, and just and we'll go, going back to animals. Just one thing: the first time I've seen it live is I happened to go and see Roger Waters when he was out this year, and he performed. He might have done dogs, but he definitely did pigs. Uh, the the whole thing from start to finish with the most amazing staging I've ever seen, uh, with the the album cover represented in um, Kudos Bank Arena there, f- running from the stage right back to the back of the stadium, to the to the rise wow. using video screens. It was it was just gobsmacking. So that's like tweaked my interest uh, in animals, and so. Um, I imagine, Paul, it was a lot earlier for you and it sounds like you you discovered it how long – well, it would have been a little bit after it came out. Oh, it was – it was it definitely was after it came yeah. out. So it would have been mid-'80s. Yeah. So, uh, again, my teenage years. Uh, and, look, I, I went to the same, the same show, obviously not the particular venue you went to, David, but uh, at uh, Adelaide Entertainment Centre earlier this year I watched Roger Waters' stage. And, yeah, you're right, he did Dogs and, and – um, and pigs three different ones yes. from uh, from the animals mm-hmm. album, and my goodness, it was amazing, wasn't it? It was breathtaking the, the visual aspect oh, yeah. you put behind it, and it, it sounded um, it sounded brilliantly. It, it looked interestingly the the uh, the guitarist who sang the first verse at the Adelaide show completely stuffed the lyrics up, and he was <laughs> he ended up doing the Albert but just making words up until he got himself back in the pocket. Um, and it just shows you playing live music. You know, we're all allowed to make mistakes, and he just recovered beautifully and kept going. And I'd, I'd suggest perhaps a good portion of the audience were that chemically enhanced, they wouldn't have even noticed. No. But it was a it was a wonderful show. And I'd love to know if Roger ripped him a new one after the show. Uh, he might have. Yeah, he yeah. might have. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, and I mean, this is a he, sort of no. He, he's 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 known for his patience and even temper, though. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> yes, Matthew. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so set the scene a bit for us, Paul. When you first heard it, where were you? Uh, Mid eighties. Okay. What was going on for you? I'll tell you exactly what was going on. So, I had my uh, cheap um, version of a Sony Walkman because we didn't have a lot of money. Our family, so my parents couldn't get me a Sony, but they we had a, a cheaper version of that, so that was okay. And I had my new Animals cassette that I discovered. And I was lying um, in my bedroom with the lights out, my headphones on, and I pressed play and listened to this album. And as I said earlier, it just – I couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe it. And at that point, I had already heard Dark Side of the Moon and I'd already heard Wish You Were Here and I'd already heard The Wall. And the animals sort of fit squarely in between those. It came out in 77. So just from a chronological point of view, it was sort of in that era. Mm. But as you guys know, having listened to it, uh, it sounds nothing like those other albums. It really doesn't. Mm. And it, it just blew me away. Just, um, you know, as I said earlier, it, it, I didn't really understand what it was about. I, as a kid, I, 
interpreted the lyrics very literally as opposed to the, the big metaphor that Roger has going on there with that album. But I knew it was about something and I knew it meant something and the, the passion in his voice and the the – I always say David Gilmore sounds like he's spitting out the guitar notes when he's playing the solo. It's just pure mm-hmm. anger that he captures. And the very when you when you've heard say Dark Side, which is a very wet, swampy, mm-hmm. lush mix, and then you listen to Animals, which is raw and harsh and dry, uh, it's just a really different feel. And it just as a as a you know typical angst ridden teenager, it really even though I didn't know what it was saying, I knew it was saying something to me, and I knew it was important. Yeah, absolutely. And it's an, taking a slightly different tack than we usually do with albums. Because there are only the five tracks, I thought it might be worth actually going through them one by one, particularly from your perspective of having played sure. them. Um, I'm guessing sure. dozens, if not hundreds mm. of times now. Um, yeah, so um, – and, and look, self-disclosure, we only play sheep and yeah. dogs – so we've never played Pigs three different ones, and that's purely for technical reasons because it requires a talk box to get the guitar solo yeah. right. And we'll, we'll look at one point in the future, we'll do it. But um, you know, certainly have listened to it in the, with the intent to play it one day. But uh, Sheep and Dogs are the two that we do at the moment. And and probably to kick it off, um, yeah. talking more broadly, you, you mentioned about not turning on to the metaphors uh, originally. Is let, let's talk about the theme of the album that as an overview and then probably jump sure. into the track. So from your perspective, Paul, I mean, I know the Orwellian stuff is sort of mentioned um, in conjunction with this album a lot, but, yeah, give us your take on it. Yeah, absolutely. So the album is certainly inspired by the George Orwell novel Animal Farm. And, again, that's that's a really interesting coincidence for me personally. I don't know about you fellas, but I've read that a lot. And, again, I came to that novel – as a very young guy and my dad happened to have it lying around at home and I reckon I would have read that. I might have been a primary school kid when I first read that and to me, when I read that, I mean, that album's really an allegory about the Russian Revolution mm. and you've got, you've got uh, you know, uh, one pig who's meant to be Stalin and another pig who's meant to be Marx slash Lenin another pig who's meant to be Trotsky and then uh, the, uh, the the horse, who rep- the boxer who represents the proletariat and all this sort of stuff. But to me, I'm, I'm a kid. I'm going, this is just a really cool story about a bunch of farm animals who <laughs> get shafted at the, end of the, at the end of the book, basically. Um. And so, yeah, so Roger was inspired by that book, but the story of Animals really begins with the tour that supported the Dark Side of the Moon album. So Sheep and Dogs were written in 1974 and Dark Side came out in 1973 and what they would do is they would they would tour these new songs. They actually, the, the tour set list they had in 74 for part of their tour at any rate, in the first set they did Shine On You, Crazy Diamond, which was mm-hmm. uh, just called Shine On back then. Mm-hmm. And they also had an early version of Sheep, which was called Raving and Drooling, and an early version of Dogs, which is called You Gotta Be Crazy. And those two songs that ended up on Animals were you – know, so they had two of them around, they played them. And then the second half of this set, they played the whole Dark Side of the Moon album. When they came to record the Wish You Were Here album, which came out in 75 – David Gilmore really wanted to put just those three songs on the album. So he wanted to do Shine On, he wanted to do Dogs and Sheep, all the early versions of them. And mm. him and Roger had a big fight about it and that never happened and probably rightly so because Wish You Here's a brilliant album as well. So they still had those songs left over. So what Roger did is he, he grabbed those two songs and retrofitted the lyrics a bit for this new theme he'd come up with. And whilst the George Orwell novel is very specific around, like I said, it's really an allegory about the Russian Revolution, Roger flipped it on its head a bit. So he's actually made the the animals out about capitalism. And the so there's there's three, I guess, animals characters represented in the the animals album, and they are the the pigs, the dogs, and the sheep. The pigs are essentially the ruling political class. Mm. The dogs are your hungry capitalist businessman types, I guess, in the modern in the modern world, 
we might think of greedy bankers or something like that. <laughs> probably a bit topical at the moment. And the sheep are the rest of us who just go along with it unquestioningly because that's how things are, and we we don't we don't sort of poke our heads above mm-hmm. the parapet too much. And so he, he took the the Orwellian theme, but adapted it to I guess ideas he probably already had. And you know, thinking about when the album came out, it came out in '77 when the British economy was struggling. Uh, the you know, coal mining, which had driven a lot of the uh, northern English economy, was was sharply dying out. There were people out of work. There was a lot of discontent. There was a lot of political unrest, and the punk movement was coming on the rise. And you know, Sex Pistols famously had the "I I hate Pink Floyd" T-shirts. And this, but ironically, this album was almost exploring the same thing, themes mm-hmm. that punk was in terms of a lot of dissatisfaction with the social situation in England and that sort of thing. So that that's that's really, I guess, the overall overarching theme of where Animal sits, in, you know, in my view, at any rate. Absolutely. And let's have a, just a quick listen to a snippet from that. Uh, and it's a very short um, initial part, um, Pigs on the Wing, part one. If you didn't care What happened to me And I didn't care For you so we've just heard that that initial snippet. So it's, I think it's about a minute and twenty on, on the album. Um, it's an interesting start to album in that you've got that those super short bit at the start and the finish, and then these massive songs um, in the middle. Um, but it starts off, I'd argue, Paul, sort of leading you in gently with that nice acoustic guitar and, and the more gentle tone, and then takes a pretty sharp turn from there. False yeah, totalizing. Yeah. Well, it is. It is. It is, Matthew. You're, you're so right. And and the reason for that is, uh, having read a, a few of Roger's thoughts on it, Pigs on the Wing, part one and part two, which bookend the album, are essentially a love song. So Roger at the time uh, was very enamoured with with his relationship with his with his wife uh, Carolyn Christie, and. This was a, a song to her, basically, and he sort of said that the album was so bleak and so dark that he needed to have some level of optimism somewhere in it, mm. uh, just to balance it, just to balance it somewhat. So, yeah, false advertising, uh, Matthew, uh, pretty well said. <laughs> I never thought of it like that, but that's a really good way of putting it because <laughs> it, it it seduces you because the rest of the album is ain't nothing like that first song. That's for sure. <laughs> No, agreed. And so we, we go into Dogs, which is, you know, 17 minutes and five seconds and a pretty intense uh, number of minutes there. So um, what this is one you s- said, Paul, that you have you do play. Um, mm. So, yeah, tell us about your experience with it, the emotions of the song and how you get through that sort of length song and, and get it across well. Yeah, it's it's such a this, – this is my favourite Pink Floyd song. Uh, of all of their entire back catalogue. Really? And, yeah, I just, I just love it so much. And it's a keyboard player's dream <laughs> because it's it's just got some amazing – it's got an amazing synth solo in the middle of it, which, you know, I do my very best to try and get somewhere near. Um, but, you know, Richard Wright's a genius, in yes. my opinion, some of the sounds he comes out with. It's got some great Wurlitzer electric piano sounds in the middle of it. It's got um, some just, – just some brilliant – organ work in there it's just it's a lot of fun to play it's great to listen to it's very lush and you know the song itself um you know you talk about the emotions that you're putting across it to me the song is about you know that the dogs as i said earlier they're the the um the the, the businessmen the capitalists but you know when you think about your own life it's, it's a great song because it's about working hard taking every advantage you can whether ethically or unethically and then you know at the end of the day we talk about being all alone and buying a cancer and what have we achieved? You know, there's, there's a line there and then he was found dead on the phone. I mean, what kind of life is that? So what have you strived so hard for? What's, what's all this money worth to you? And- like the club tie. Just to put the 
So we really try and convey that live. Um, we try and present the song with a lot of, um, you know, aggression and a sen- that sense of futility almost. And, uh, you know, a guitarist, Daniel, is just amazing. He just gets those guitar solos so right. He puts a lot of work into getting the sound right and the feeling right and the passion right. And that's what makes it special to play. And uh, it's just it's just an amazing song. It's so multi-layered. There's a lot going on. And, um, you know, I remember when we first started learning it, uh, we were chatting about, oh, we should do dogs. And our drummer, Jason, said, oh, I don't know, is that, a bit, is that going to be a bit boring to do? And then I'll never forget, he comes back after he'd learned it the next practice. He says, oh, I never should have said that. <laughs> the time signature changes all these times and I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And we just love playing it, you know. And when you get to the end of the song, it's uh, great to get the reaction from the audience. And, you know, they, I think they appreciate that the effort that's gone into playing such a long song and, and, and hopefully getting it pretty close to right. Absolutely. And I mean, just for the record, Matthew and I, or at least myself, uh, I'm hoping to be found dead on a podcast rather than the phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Found dead on a podcast. Yeah, yeah, that, could work. Work. yeah that could work. <laughs> uh, Matthew, any uh, thoughts I, from I, you I'm, on that I'm song? I'm very, very surprised if I'm, if I'm not found dead with a phone in my hand. I think uh, <laughs> I'm pretty inseparable from the thing. Uh, look, I, uh, I, I agree with uh, with your guitarist. Uh, it's uh, it is an exciting song in terms of the complexity, in terms of the time signature changes, because uh, it, it you know it's it's not just long. You, you you look at the sort of the the running times on the album and you think, okay, one twenty five, uh, that sounds cute and poppy. Next song mm. is seventeen minutes long. Oh my god, mm. yeah. what have I got myself into? Yes, um, but you know it's not just a big you know blues jam for 17 minutes as no. you know a, a lot of other uh, artists of the period might have indulged in it's th- th- there's there's a hell of a lot of complexity and intricacy uh, is really the word i'm looking for there so um, i think that's that's in, ter- in terms of the arrangements in terms of the the, the interplay between the, the the various instruments and the various sections of the of the song it's uh, amazingly intricate mm. yeah I, I think that's very insightful matthew because it's it's not just a seventy minute slog. It's like, and when we learned it, because each bit is so unique in the mm. way it comes together, it was actually like learning, say, half a dozen songs and then mm. bolting them together. Um, so mm. I, I think your your comments are spot on there. And I mean, it sounds superficial, but I mean, there are nine verses in the song. If you go, the average three to four minute song has three verses, with obviously choruses and a middle eight quite often. But I mean, nine verses in seventy minutes is actually pretty damn efficient with the the level of instrumentation and solos and stuff they're doing. Yeah, totally agreed, totally agreed. And, you know, it's interesting, the early version of the song, which was called you got to Be Crazy, which is obviously the first vocal line that gets spoken, was jam-packed with lyrics. So David Gilmour was like singing, 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 with almost without a break. And you can, if you listen to some of the old bootleg recordings of it, which you can listen to on YouTube or whatever, you, you can hear he's, he's battling to get through the words. And you can you can do a bit of research on Google, and, and it will say that he, he sort of said to Roger, "Look, we're going to have to do something about this because I can't cope with all these lyrics you've given me to sing." <laughs> so um, they they spaced it out a bit more, and, and it became a quite a different quite a different song in the end lyrically, which it had to, as I said, to retrofit to that animals quasi Orwellian theme that Roger wanted to run with. Yeah. And, I mean, this is – I found a fascinating link when I was doing my in-depth non-Wikipedia research today that someone wrote yep. uh, a journal article on the dog's track, uh, mm-hmm. which was published in the last couple of years. And I'm just going to very briefly read the abstract because it's quite short and I think it sums it up nicely. So, in their 17-minute track, Dogs from Animals, Pink Floyd used a small amount of material appropriate to a standard-length song and expanded each of its sections enormously by employing heavy repetition and an exceptionally slow harmonic pace. Yet how can, <laughs> I, I, and it's very academic sounding, I love it. Yet how can a rock song that is based on so little material retain vitality over the course of such a prolonged duration? This paper analyses and assesses the ways in which Dog succeeds in maintaining a sense of variety, direction and cohesiveness throughout its extended length through an inspired scheme of structurally foundational guitar solos, a motivic... Oh, this is where I need you, Matthew. Uh, M-O-T-I-V-I-C. Motivic? 
Motivic, yes. Motivic? Oh, of course. Moti- yeah, mo- okay. Motivic, uh, use of melodic and harmonic tension and a meticulously woven fabric of text. Harmony, texture, sound and instrumentation. The song maintains a propulsive forward drive in spite of its thematic economy. I'd argue you summarise it better, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 you know, yeah. that, that's what you can do when you've got funding. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's right. <laughs> If there's a grant available, you know. I was going to say, someone probably got a doctorate off the back of that paper. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and I know this is a total tangent, but motivic is like a, a, a based on the motif, like musical motifs. That's what it's saying there. Yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah, there you go. I've learned a new word. Um, so, dogs. <laughs> and, and what's the, I mean, the audience reaction, this is probably one I wanted to ask later, but I'll ask it now. I mean, playing in Echoes of Pink Floyd and there's obviously those classic... Well, if not three minute, four, four and a half, five minute songs that, that everyone loves rocking to. What sort of reaction do you get to these sort of songs? Well, it's really interesting. So our audience, I could squarely divide into two categories. One category is they know the songs that you tend to hear on FM radio. Yeah. So they know Money, Wish You Were Here, um, uh, Time Maybe, yeah. If You're Lucky, Have a Cigar, uh, Learning to Fly, those sort of yes. classic songs. And, and so they're there to hear those. And then you've got the absolute dead set Pink Floyd yes, tragics, yeah. the other half of our audience. And when we play these songs, they love it to bits. They yeah. absolutely love it because they're not expecting us to do it because they would probably go to one of these shows going, okay, who's there? who are these guys, a tribute band out of Adelaide? You know, what are they going to be like? Mm. And Animals is an album that's not as probably popular with mm. Floyd fans as, as sort of your dark side of the moon wish you were here the wall. So um, they, I'd say surprised and delighted would be the reaction that they get. And then the, probably the people who come just wanting to hear the, the ones they know or the, the more well-known ones probably go, what was that? What just happened? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's really interesting. Sometimes you can overhear people um, explaining the songs to their mates. So they've obviously dragged their mate along or maybe their partner and, and they'll say, oh, yeah, this is that, this is that one. And they're, oh, they're, oh, they're doing this. and. Um, yeah, it's, it's, so it's, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of fun to uh, just watch the audience and how they react. And we do a thing after every show where we actually go out the front and, and meet the audience because our audience, by their very nature, Pink Floyd fans tend to be quite committed mm. and they, they like to talk about the music. So we'll, we'll sit there and just like what we're doing, fellas, and have a chat and just share stories. And, you know, there, there are people who come along who've seen Pink Floyd in action. You know, I, I met someone the other day who'd, Watched them in England a couple of times uh, back in the in the late sixties and early seventies, and it was just such fun sharing stories. And I was actually quite jealous of what he'd been able to see and yeah. the experiences he'd had. And so it's it's just it's a pure pleasure to do it. I mean, we we do it for love, and we certainly love doing it. Excellent. And and so then we move on to the third track, which is Pig's three different ones. Um, I got to say, this is my favourite track on the album. Um, and probably from that keyboard viewpoint again, Paul just loves some of the stuff in it um, and the funky oh, yeah. feel of it. Um, so, yeah, let's talk a little bit about that one. I might start with you, Matthew, just to, to mix things up a bit. What's your take on, on this song? You, you enjoyed it? I, I think it's, it's the song on the album, if, if, if I had to be a little bit critical, it's the song on the album that probably hasn't aged as well. Um, Partly because it's it's kind of uh, contemporary. It is of its time, mm. uh, where, where for the you know most of the song is as you say it's it's taking um, uh, animal farm. It's talking about the the the, the same themes of the, the the proletariat, the revolution, capitalism, and so so on and so forth. Uh, where th- this this one specifically mentions Mary Whitehouse, yes, who yeah. who who was a, was a thing in 1977 and isn't now, yeah. Uh, uh, and 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 that that puts th- this particular track in a time and in a place, um, which look, I'm not I'm not going to say it, it 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 you know wrecks it, but it 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 kind of pulls you out of it for a moment because because as a person in 2018, you know you you, you hear that name and you think uh, what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, you you start to wonder what you're talking about. And for the sake of our listeners that don't know, like me, and had to look it up, she was yeah, very conservative person that was an activist against too much liberalism and the mainstream British filth media. on the TV. Yes, filth on the TV, exactly. Yes, 
but yeah, you know, she, she she was she was a person who was was relevant in Britain in 1977, uh, at at the sort of dawn of Thatcherism, um, but she she doesn't really have a a, a a contemporary equivalent now. There is there isn't kind of a universality to to the theme of Mary Whitehouse, so that 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 pulls you out of it for a moment. Could could you aside from that? You know, stru- structurally, the, the the song's song's rather cool. I'm wondering if Rogers. Sorry? I wonder if Rogers substituted Mary for the um, in, in he, when he performs <laughs> it. It would nearly fit. Well, what's what's so interesting now, fellas? And you're you're quite right, Matthew. Uh, Mary Whitehouse. And imagine me as a as a whatever, however old I came into how old I was, fourteen year old kid listening to this. Meant nothing to me. Mary Watt, and no idea who she was, and I didn't have the advantage of Google to look it up either. So it was a bit of a – the whole thing was a bit of a mystery. Uh, and, yeah, that that is an interesting thing, and, and there's a lot of speculation about this song. So Mary Whitehouse is quite clearly named in the mm. song in the third verse. The first verse and the second verse uh, – the first verse is about big man, pig man, mm. and, and then the second verse is about the uh, uh, bus stop rat bag, uh, you're an old hag. Uh, hot stuff with a hat pin, and there, there's a lot of speculation about whether those two verses, verse one and verse two, are about a more wider general group or about specific people. Mm. And there, there's a school of thought is that the first verse is about the then Prime Minister of England, James Callaghan, okay. uh, the big man, pig man, uh, and a lot of it, a lot of it, a lot of the reason people think that is there's a line about your your faces down in the pig mine. Mm. And uh, as I mentioned, that was around the time when there was there was a lot of industrial problems with the. the coal mining in northern England and it was starting to die out as a, as a viable industry and that sort of thing and then there's a you know and, and Matthew mentioned Thatcherism that there's a thought there's a school of thought that the second verse is about Margaret Thatcher who was the then leader of the opposition If you look at it through that lens, Roger's talking about the political situation in England. In that it's so he's talking about the current Labor Prime Minister who he's written off. Then he's talking about the current opposition leader for the Conservatives who he's also written mm-hmm. off. And then he, and then he deliberately goes over to Mary Whitehouse, who uh, again he's written you know again a very uh, anti-liberal conservative yeah. campaigner. And what he's done now is he's you know by by pure fortuitousness, he, his current target is Donald Trump. And, and you would have seen this, David, when you watched the show, his oh, current yeah. tour. So he's taken advantage of the fact that the word White House is in those lyrics and he just absolutely visually oh, gives yes. it to Donald Trump during lot, that song and makes it with lots of okay. With lots of sound okay. effects, uh, from memory, lots of sound effects of pigs in troughs and yeah, and Correct. lots of stuff of Trump in uh, doing all sorts of things from memory. There's some, some quite uh, visually... Yeah. Yeah, he's nude at one point with a, oh, with a very, with a very that, small that's appendage. That's not an image I need. <laughs> no, and, and, and nor did anyone, I don't think, Matthew, when they were there. It, was, it wasn't, wasn't pretty, um, but deliberately so, of course. And, yeah, so he, he gives it to Trump big time. And he, he puts Trump quotes up, uh, which just paint him in a very yes. bad light. And you know, it's, uh, I'm sure it's not the aim of this podcast to go political, and I won't either, but that's where Roger has... What that's how he's modernised the song for a new audience in a sense. So I think that's a great pickup by you, Matthew. Around, I, so I, I, I think that that, yeah. that that works. That that mm. works. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was, so I was, was going to say, you know, I'm not just picking on Pink Floyd there for for uh, you know 
putting a song too much in its in its time. I mean, um, if you know the the, the Beatles song "Taxman," mm-hmm. uh, yep. which which is a fantastic song, everybody loves "Taxman." But it it mentions uh, you know Harold Wilson and Edward Heath by name, and and so you you you're again you're you're pulled out of it for a moment. Like, who, who's Mr. Wilson? Who's Mr. Heath? Yeah, yeah. All of all of a sudden, it's not a song that's just about taxation and about you know how much I resent. Uh, you know, working for somebody other than myself, all of a sudden it's it's a, a song that takes place in 1966 and it's not universal anymore. Yes. And it, it's, yeah, it's you, problematic. Yeah, you're so right. And it's like watching old sketch comedy shows, isn't it? There's two kinds of old sketch comedy shows. There's there's like Monty Python, which could be about anyone or anything. Mm. And then you might watch another one, which is uh, specifically targeting the, you know, the, the leader of the day or whatever. And it's funny at the time and clever, like the Gillies Report. You look at it now and it's like, well, who are these people? Right. How is this relevant? Yeah. So it's, it's yeah. a really good point you make, I think. And so then we go from a pretty, yeah, full-on attack on whether it's individuals or, or – um, broader themes and we move to the sheep well, not the sheep song that sounds like something those Irish Rover guys <laughs> would have come out with <laughs> like the, uni- the unicorn song and the sheep song oh. <laughs> just oh, sheep no, it's called Rovers in my head singing about sheep yeah, sorry. I don't even know an Irish Rover song about sheep but I'm making one up in my head <laughs> well, it could be a hit Matthew don't, don't discount it um, I'll write it down so yeah, sheep, sheep's a different tack again. Uh, Paul, g- give us your take on that. Yeah, well, this, this is where the the Orwell novel and the album probably get, in my opinion, to their closest synergy mm-hmm. because the sheep in both represent just the common people who uh, blindly go along and are allowed to be duped or allow themselves to be duped by, you know, their their political or or workplace masters and you know sheep is again i'll come at it from a keyboard place perspective what a great intro that intro on the uh, on the roads Mm. fantastic fun to play that um so again you know i I can never say enough good things about richard wright what a genius he is and um you know, it, it's a it's a song, and that that during the verses where Roger Waters' voice trails off and then gets taken over by a synthesizer sound, um, it's a really otherworldly. I remember when I first heard that, I thought, "Oh, that sounds so great! Well, doesn't that sound wonderful?" Um, and the song itself, you know, it's quite quite I think quite funny and clever. It talks about the the sheep blindly following, and then they had that that quasi Lord's Prayer thing in the middle which uh, talks about the sheep learning karate and rising up against their masters. And then in the last verse, they, the sheep are, uh, you know, they, they, they take, they finally overcome and win and get on top. And then <laughs> the last line of the song is, uh, but now you better go home and do as you're told <laughs> if you want right. to grow old. So it's like they're, they're back to where they were before. Exactly. Because assume, you know, I, you know, when I interpret, I assume a power vacuum's occurred because the sheep have risen up and killed their masters, and but they're happy to sit back and let someone else fill the power vacuum. So back to the same thing again. So mm. I, I don't know. I think it's pretty clever and typical Roger Waters, fairly cynical viewpoint on the world. <laughs> um, but uh, oh, I love it. <laughs> And you've got to give him credit. Yeah. He's kept yeah. he's kept the rage up right right up until this day. That's for sure. We'll put a link in the show notes if I think of it. Um, he did a recent, when I say in the last 12 months, interview with Mark Marin on the WTF podcast and it's, yeah, fascinating listening. <laughs> He's still a very angry man. Do, do you know it's funny, um, and I don't know if you had this experience, David, watching the Roger Waters show, but at the, at the Adelaide show, he he didn't – the show was just music, really. He didn't talk to the audience a lot. No. But then right, right at the end before the encore, he probably went on a 10-minute political rant and we'd and we'd already seen that. You know, I, I talked about it before the Trump mm. pictures and things during during um, pigs three different ones, and 
people were visibly getting disconcerted by the fact he was getting so political. And, and I had a couple of people talk to me afterwards and said, oh, you know, I really like the show, but, you know, gee, he, he could have stayed away from that political stuff. And I said, look, I get where you're coming from, but to be fair, if you're going to a Roger Waters show yeah. and are worried or offended by the fact he's getting political, you don't know Roger Waters very well. I mean, that's just who he is and that's yeah. what he does and that's what you sign up for when you when – you, Exactly. Um, yeah. Exactly. Mm. So, same thing, you know, a, a few uh, episodes ago when we were talking about Bruce Springsteen. It's like, you know <laughs> – you 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 want you want Springsteen. You get the politics. That's right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Spot on. Spot it's, on, Matthew. It's, it's a package. You know, "Born in the USA" is not a patriotic song. No, no. <laughs> yeah. Um. No. Very well put. And I think he did talk do do the political thing in Sydney, but probably not for ten minutes. I think I, I can't remember whether Adelaide was before or after Sydney, but he'd either yeah toned it down a bit or was only working up to by the time he got to Adelaide. It was, it was quite funny. Was it was like he wasn't moved talking. in the moment, perhaps. That's know? true. Who knows? It was like he it was very. It felt very unscripted. It was. It was genuinely like it went off on a bit of a tangent. That's sort of how I felt anyway, listening to it. So yes. Mentioned one other thing about sheep, and that, and that is that it uh, it has a particular f- appeal for Doctor Who fans. Uh, ha- good happens to, to note that baseline. Yeah. Uh, now that that's a really good point. Haven't noticed it. Notice it. Yeah, that, that's a really good point, Matthew. And, and I, th- I believe they were they were somewhat criticised in some quarters for being a bit derivative for, for that exact baseline. Um, were they? Because yeah, I, I believe so. I believe certain people sort of said, "Oh, that, 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 when the album first came out, it wasn't universally praised." Although, to be fair, I don't think any Pink Floyd album ever was. No. Um, but um, you know, there was there was a few a few critics who said it was a bit derivative, and and uh, you know that that. That what you noticed about the Doctor Who sound in the bass um, yeah, has been noticed by others, certainly. Yeah. Oh, darn. And you've got Doctor Who in there. No, good work. <laughs> um, and then we finish out with another short acoustic number with Roger singing, which is Pigs on the Wing Part 2, and it's just the one relatively short verse. You know that I care What happens to you? What's your interpretation on that one, Paul? Do you know what I find fascinating about that song? And obviously it's it's a reprise of the first half, as, as we sort of said earlier, they, they, he bookended the album with those two. And it's the same theme. It's a, it's a love song. It's mm. to his wife, which is nice. What I found really interesting about the lyrics in that song is he, he calls himself a dog. So, um, you know, any, any fool knows a dog needs a home. Mm. Um, and he's talked about, now I've found somewhere safe to bury my bone. And I wonder, uh, and yeah, interesting, <laughs> right? So, I, you know, you can choose to interpret that in various ways. <laughs> Damn Australian no, humour. Damn Australian. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that aside, what I find interesting about it is I, I know that after Dark Side of the Moon came out, and I, well, so I know it only because I've heard the, the Pink Floyd guys interviewed about this stuff. They they were confronted with after Dark Side of the Moon the fact that they had, in a single foul swoop, achieved anything anyone could ever want to in terms of being in music and being in a band. So they were suddenly fabulously wealthy beyond their wildest imaginations. They were incredibly successful and they struggled with that a lot. Mm. And it, it gave rise to a lot of tension in the band afterwards. And Roger Waters, you know, as we've talked about, he's political. He, he believes in the little people and the, you know, the, Social justice and all these sorts of things, but here he is. He he knows he's a he's a very wealthy guy mm. and a very powerful guy, and so he's calling himself a dog in this song. Which is, and the dogs are that that sort of you know, as we say, the the ones who push hard and run over the top of others to in the business world. And I think they were confronting trying to balance being artists with being business people, and and I, I think it was a very hard thing for them to stare into. And uh, I, I just found it interesting that Roger is essentially calling himself a dog, acknowledging that 
in mm. and he's trying to find to me it's him trying to find refuge and sanctuary and peace and I don't think he's found it at all. No. That's a great at that point in time. Yeah. Interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. I like it. Um and so there there we have the album and so Matthew, any last thoughts on the actual album as an entity? Well, I I, I do have one one question. I from from my own uh, in depth and and totally not uh, Wikipedia uh, research uh, in preparation for this podcast, I I, I see that uh, somebody called Snowy White was brought in at the last minute to do a guitar solo yes, for Pigs yes. on the Wing because because uh, Dave Gilmore's solo was accidentally erased yes. and 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 Snowy White's guitar solo was not on the vinyl release of the album but was only on the eight track cassette yes. version yes. of the album. Uh, have you heard? Uh, this the eight track cassette version of Pigs on the Wing, and wh- I, what's the solo like? I certainly have, and your listeners can too if they just go on to YouTube and type in Pigs on the Wing eight track. Great. They'll be able to hear it too. It is beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. And you know, to be honest, it, it if someone told you David Gilmore did it, you wouldn't argue. It it, it sounds wonderful. It, it's um, really. Yeah, it's really nice. It's really nice. Snowy White's a very accomplished guitarist, and I'm actually really glad you brought him up, Matthew, because they they grabbed him to uh, play that, and you know they I probably don't want to bore you guys with too much trivia, but um, David Gilmore was a very early supporter of a young Kate Bush in her career around this time, mm-hmm. and. He to the to the point where um, he had heard a demo tape of hers through mutual friends, and she couldn't get a record contract or couldn't get anyone important in the industry to listen mm. to her. And he heard it and loved it, and said, "Hey, listen, Kate, I've got a bit of dough. I can actually get this thing sounding schmick, so that you can then." And so he actually helped sort of start her up with her career. And so via his connection with Kate Bush, Snowy Wright was a very accomplished and well-known studio um, and session guitarist at the time, and. And they were looking for someone else to, to do a bit of extra stuff. And so he got referred to the band. He played that solo. And, and as you correctly said, uh, I believe they inadvertently hit David Gilmore's solo got wiped. And uh, they took him on tour as well. So because you've got a lot of dual guitar harmonies mm. going on and rhythm guitar and stuff. And, mm. and Roger mm. played a bit of rhythm guitar on tour. So they actually had Snow White playing the bass during a lot of the, the animal songs. Really? Yeah, yeah, and, and even to this day, like uh, Snowy White still tours around with Roger and that sort of thing. So, um, although I don't think he did the most recent tour, but the Wall tour that he did before a couple of years ago, I think uh, he had Snowy White on board, and he did the the Berlin Wall concerts. Snowy uh, was part of the band there as well, Roger's band. So he's had that sort of relationship. He's always been like a, I shouldn't say a fifth member because it's not quite right, but he's he's been probably one of the go-to guys over the years when they've needed an extra guitarist, and he's a great player. Was in Thin Lizzy for a while too. Oh, there you go. Cool. That's that's a mm. of a different band. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Excellent. No, it's a it's a nice bit of information. So, and and I mean for you, Paul. So, I mean, you, as you say, you played it a bunch of times. You obviously love the album. How would you sum it up as an entity, both for Pink Floyd and just its impact on music? Look, I I think it's one of the most underrated – sorry, I'll take that back. I think it's the most underrated Pink Floyd album. There are – you know, I could talk to a Pink Floyd fan and they'll tell me they don't like it and, you know, everyone's entitled to their opinion, I suppose. But I, I think it's amazing. I think it, it, what it does do is it captures the emotion that I believe the band was trying to convey perfectly and that emotion comes out. And, you know, on re-listening to it, which I did in preparation for our chat – I still get the same feeling in my guts, even though I've, I've played a couple of these songs many, many, many times, as you can imagine, um, and it just doesn't lose its impact for me. I, I think it's it's an amazing album in the canon. It, it, Pink Floyd were going through a real interesting phase at that time. I, I think Roger and David were really starting to dislike each other, if I could be honest. <laughs> yeah. and, and I think some of that tension actually gives rise to the way the album sounds and behaves. And, um, yeah, I, I just... I think it's really important, and for anyone listening who maybe hasn't listened to it much or hasn't listened to it in years, I'd so go back and have a listen to it and think about what was happening in the band at the time, what was happening in the world at the time. And you know, I think I think Matthew's point's valid. It's very much an album of its time, but the music's still brilliant. It's it's amazingly executed. And and I know when I heard those couple of Animal songs live played by Roger and his band 
earlier this year in Adelaide, I, you know, I, again, I had an emotional reaction to it, but and I shouldn't. I've heard these songs so many times, but I just, I just love it so much, and it just made me feel amazing. And what was great was I was able to share it with my two teenage sons, who were were truly, they had the same experience I did all those years ago. They were blown away by it. So, it's, it's, uh, it's an album of its time, but I still think it's worth a listen today. Yeah, and I suppose uh, a coda to that would be that uh, about a month ago, um, Roger Waters said that uh, he's working on a 5.1 channel surround sound mix of animals. Is that right? Uh, has 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 not given a, a release date, but um, apparently it's is getting the real audiophile treatment. So yeah, an album of its time, but it's it's about to become extremely contemporary. So wow, that's it'll, amazing. It'll, it'll be worth worth re-listening when that comes out. You're not kidding. Thanks for sharing that. I'll be first in line to buy it. That's really. And just a bit of trivia on Roger Waters and what he might think of the songs. I'm just looking through his set lists, um, and I think I've mentioned setlist.fm before to our, to our listeners. It's a great way of getting a, an inkling of what songs the artist either likes playing or feels they have to play most. Um, and Dogs comes out on top as the most played song by Roger Waters in his solo career, but not by a lot. So really? Two, yeah, not by a lot, though. 209 times versus oh, – I actually know that is a fair bit. Pigs on the Wing, part one at 145. Pigs, three different ones, 141. And then Sheep Down at 121. And I don't know whether Pigs wow. on the Wing, part two, are there. So, But that's about one in three shows he seems to be playing dogs out of 600 wow. shows. Yeah, Interesting. Yeah. So I like that sort Huge. of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> Paul. Thank you so much well, for for that. It's been. Bre- I, I would happily talk about this for twenty four hours, and I've already warned you. We may have to talk offline about keyboards and all that fun stuff. But yeah, um, can yeah, do. Can really, do. really appreciate your perspective on this, and um, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Well, uh, can I just say, David and Matthew, thank you so much for uh, indulging me to talk about something that I love, and I, I hope your listeners enjoyed hearing us talk about it too. But uh, uh, congratulations on a great podcast. I've, I've really enjoyed listening to all your shows. They're fantastic, and uh, it's a privilege to be asked to come on. So thanks heaps. Oh, absolutely. Our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. So there you have it, Matthew. I quite enjoyed that. I, I'd happily cover all the Pink no, Floyd was, albums, or at least all the Pink Floyd albums, say from uh, Dark Side of the Moon. Maybe not the stuff before that. I just need to listen to that more. I I, th- I think that there's a lot to be said for the the earlier Pink Floyd stuff, but uh, yeah, the uh, I think the '70s is is when they really came into their own. Absolutely, and it's interesting you mentioned. Well, I think that's, that's that's when all the songs that everybody knows came from. That's right, and it's interesting you mentioned your first exposure was momentary lapse of reason, as far as where they really um, got got your attention. I, I was reading a, an article yeah. before where they, and it was only I think it was Consequence of Sound dot net. It's a fairly decent uh, music site, and they rated the top fifteen. Well, all of their albums from worst to best, essentially, and they had momentary lapse of reason way down the list as being yeah a bit all over the place. Whereas, but I'm like you, that's I'd already gotten into Pink Floyd a little bit, but I love that album. Well, it's it's the one at at that sort of formative age when you're you're sort of finding okay, what is the music of my what what's the soundtrack of my life? Yes, and that was. You know, learning to fly was on the radio all the time, and a great clip and, too. And and it's and it's not a short song, so you know, you're talking about a song that's like five minutes long, being played twenty times a day. That's that's you know, most of your day is taken up with learning to fly. That's right, that's right. <laughs> and it's really striking video clip. And um, being a bit of a gear nerd um, at the time, and yeah, I would have been seventeen when it came out. Is they they showed them playing bits of it live or, or live footage with those, you know, amazing lights and everything. And I thought, wow, they're so high tech. And they were. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, oh, yeah. Yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm holding back a sneeze here. Oh, you're allowed to. <laughs> there you go, live sneezing, only here on the music detectors. Someone uh, can yeah. sample this, that. This is, this, is, this is quality radio. There's a hit album in that. That's going to be a sample somewhere. <laughs> Um, so yeah, thank you, Paul. That was, that was great, and um, I can't wait to see the Echoes of Pink Floyd show. They're, they're coming down my way later in the year, and I'm definitely going to go and check it out. Um, 
can't wait to catch up with Paul hopefully face to face. So, anything else you wanted to say, Matthew, before we wrap it? No, nah, just uh, yeah. Look, look forward to uh, hearing this five point one uh, remix of Animals that mm. uh, that Roger Waters has mentioned. Yeah, can't wait. All right, I'll call it there then. So as as always, if you'd like to an offer offer an opinion, suggestion, or even offer yourself up as a guest to review an album you love, please do email us at contact at themusicweek.net or visit our burgeoning Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash music dissectors. Um, to keep things spread well among the decades, if you do have an album from sort of the 80s, 90s or 2000s, we'd especially love to hear from you. We we do tend to have a, a bias just from from what we've done to what late 60s to late 70s early 80s yeah. so some, some more recent that, stuff that, that's when all the good music was though <laughs> so I, I owe pete wilson a big thank you i mean he went with samstown from the killers and <laughs> actually did go and see the killers in the last few weeks and they were great um but yes you'll find previous episodes of the show on itunes and we're also on stitcher and TuneIn, and all episodes are on our website at www.themusicweek.net so, yes, thanks very much for listening as always and thank you again, Matthew, for propping yourself up on a dodgy chair with a cold. Thank you, David. <laughs> I'm going to go and sleep now. So we'll be back in a, f- a few or many weeks as always. And in oh, the me- dear, I'm making no promises. <laughs> Don't die, please. In the meantime, find a new album to love. Good night.